All right. Our speaker this week is Marsha F. from Toronto. You're up, Marsha. Hey there. Um, just one second here. Uh, hey, family. Uh, I'm an alcoholic and an addict. And my problem is Marsha. Um, thank you very much, Megan, for asking me to uh, to speak. Um, it is always an honor to be part of any uh, anything that goes on with uh, with recovery. So, um, a lot of people really have, uh, well, most people have heard my story already. Um, uh, so I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to get into too much of the, uh, the, uh, what it was like stuff. Um, I like to, I like to start with what it's like today. And, uh, so what it's like today is, um, I'm, I'm peaceful. I'm content. I, I have some content in my life. Um, but that's in the here and now, like right where my feet are right here, right now. Um, there's a lot of really amazing things that are happening for me right now that I, I never thought, you know, would have, uh, would be going on. Um, I have, uh, an amazing career that, um, keeps me, um, in the realm of, of recovery constantly and mental health um, and addiction and working with housing and the homeless. Um, I, uh, I'm 51 years old and I live with my mom. Um, I moved back into the house about um, eight years ago um, when uh, we thought that my stepdad was gonna pass. And uh, I decided to go back home, um, you know, to kind of sort of be there so my mom wouldn't be by herself. Um, I wasn't in recovery at that time and uh, a lot of things happened, which I'll get into a little bit later. Um, but today um, I'm in a house with my mom. We, we are learning how to communicate very well with each other. Um, I'm in a, in a space where there are no locked doors um, and uh, uh, where she trusts me. And, and that is huge because that's something that um, was really never there before. Um, my sobriety date is... Uh, June 16th of 2017. So I just recently became five years um, clean and sober and um, a person in recovery. Um, my first uh, time around the rooms, though, was in, uh, I was introduced to the fellowships in 2003. And in 2003, I, um, I was in a, in a detox that I'd never been to a detox before. And I was told I needed to go to these meetings and it was in mainstream um, AA. Uh, that was the very first 12 step meeting I'd ever been to. Um, prior to that, I had been to a couple rehabs, um, but they were not 12 step based. I did learn uh, about my addiction and things like that, but I didn't, I didn't know anything about 12 steps. Um, what I did, the one thing I did know was that it was a religious organization. You had to be with God in order to be in it. So when I sat down in this detox in this room and uh, a, a little old man looked like he was about 150 years old, um, picked up the big book and started reading. And he sounded like, rarely have we seen a person fail. And as soon as he got to the God word, as soon as he got to the God word, I'm like, yeah, I'm out. Um, I stood up. I uh, went out the back door. I jumped over a fence and uh, I went down the street with, in a hospital gown, you know, with my ass flapping in the wind um, because there was no way that I was going to be part of any sort of religious organization. And if I had to be um, in a religious organization in order to get us uh, clean and sober, then it, then it just wasn't going to happen. Um, 
So between 2003 and 2017, um, I was in and out. Um, I did join another fellowship which, in which I stayed in for seven years um, because um, I had a problem with, with drugs, but you know, the alcohol thing, that was the other reason I, I disqualified myself from AA was because I really didn't have an alcohol problem. I had a drug problem. So um, I immersed myself in another fellowship for seven years and uh, I learned how to, uh, for lack of a better phrase, I learned how to be a parrot. I learned how to talk the talk. I learned um, how to act the way I needed to act um, in order for people to think that I was in recovery and everything was going well. Um, and I did it. I did it very, very well. Um, but I did not stop using. I did not stop my drugs. <laughs> I did not stop drinking. The drinking was only an occasional thing. Um, and for years, I was going to two meetings a day. I was going to a meeting in the morning. Um, I would hang out with people during the day or, or, you know, tell them I needed alone time and be by myself and, and be using and all that stuff. And then I'd go to a meeting in the evening. Um, that was my accountability with everyone. And if I, if I, if I just went along that, that, that I just kept doing that, then people would leave me alone. It was when I, um, you know, stopped talking to people, would forget a phone call here and there, um, that people would randomly show up at my door for the longest time. I never told people where I lived. Right. And people would randomly show up at my door. And, you know, I, the last thing that you want to do is get caught. Well, I, I am a liar by nature and I had weaved this web so well. It was so intricate. I couldn't remember a damn thing I had said to who. All I know is that my worlds could not meet. People could not meet each other because I didn't know who I had said what to and everything like that. And I had to keep up that facade. And it was a lot of work keeping up that facade. Um. There were times that I dropped out of the whole recovery scene um, and then I'd appear like, you know, a year later or something like that. Um, usually pretty broken, but I, I dress up the outside, you know, I dress up that garbage can so that nobody can see what's going on on the inside. And um, yeah, and that went on for way too long. And I can't really tell you what the difference is between what happened in 2017 as to what got me got my head out of my butt for lack of a better phrase, got my head out of my ass and actually got me into recovery. Um, because there were times that I was down and out. I lived on the streets. I lived on the streets of Toronto for quite some time. So let's just backtrack just a little bit. So I can, I can't remember when my drinking and drugging started. My drinking kind of sort of started when I was 16 ish. I was like a weekend warrior. My first experience with alcohol was learning how to shotgun a beer. You know, I uh, don't know if you're familiar with, with those who are familiar, you know, you stick, you stick a hole in the bottom of the can and then you, you flip the top while it's in your mouth and everything just goes floating down your throat. That Yeah, because I couldn't stand the taste of alcohol or anything like that or, you know, I had little sips here and there. But that was my first experience. Um, and um, by the end of that night, this was when I was in high school. And by the end of that night, I wound up naked in a swimming pool. And uh, that is probably to be the progression of what happens to me when I do, um, I do a lot of drinking, right? I wind up naked someplace that I'm not supposed to be <laughs> doing things that I don't want to be doing. Um, and that continued for a very, very long time. Um, in my, uh, in my past, I, I do have a lot of trauma issues. Um, sexual trauma, emotional trauma, physical trauma. 
um, from my family, mostly. Um, that comes from my family. And um, it's, it's caused a lot of issues for me in regards to trust issues uh, or trusting people. Um, I learned how to lie very early, very, very early, probably as soon as I could talk, because um, lying for me was my survival. That was my survival strategy. That was my survival technique. If I told the right lie, just the right lie, you know, um, my mom didn't yell at me as much. Um, if I told just the right lie, nobody would have sex with me that night. If I told just the right lie, maybe I'd be able to have dinner. Um, or maybe they wouldn't lock me in the closet for so many days this time, you know. So lying for me became part of how I lived. And being in recovery and this being a program of honesty, I have to stop every now and then when I'm talking and just make sure that what I'm telling you is the truth. Let's put it that way. Um, sometimes I don't know where the lie ends and where the reality begins. I'm very fortunate when I came into the program that there was a lot of people that just said to me, you know, just give it all to me and I'll help you sift through the bullshit. I'll help you sift through um, what's not true. And, um, and that was hard. You know, I have people in my life right now that I've never lied to. And, uh, and I think that that's absolutely incredible. I think that's amazing. Um, and I'm going to do everything that I can in order to maintain that. Um, so that's, uh, uh, yeah, so a bit about the history. Now, the drugging for me, um, that started uh, when I was 20 some odd, like well into, uh, I had a career going working in childcare. Um, I, uh, I started working with kids, not because I want their future to be all yay and everything is great. And I'm thinking about all of that. I work with kids because I'm an attention seeking whore is what I am. And children give me all the love and attention that I want. You know, they just hang off every word that I say. They say my name when I walk into a room. They cry when I leave, all of that stuff. And uh, I wasn't getting that from adults. So, you know, what, what better place to get them than to, to do that, to work with kids? And um, I spent 25 years working with kids. Um, I, uh, I worked my way up the, the corporate ladder when it comes to child development and all that, um, university. And um, I was part of a very elite group of people that we kind of sort of sat in an office having um, champagne and orange juice for breakfast, talking about board things and, you know, fundraising uh, millions of dollars for all these different daycares. And, and I didn't, I didn't know how to do shit all <laughs> to tell you the truth. Once I stopped working directly with the kids and I started doing the corporate thing, it all became bullshit. Um, so, you know, I was well into that when, um, when, when uh, a, a little pill was put into my hand one day when I was out at a bar and uh, I looked at the person that put it in my hand and said, what, what, what is this? I, one week prior to that, I had smoked a joint for the first time in my life. And they said, remember what you felt like when you smoked that joint? And I said, yeah. What I remember was I got really tired and I ate um, about 14 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches is what I remember. And they said, uh, well, that is going to feel like you did before. Just amplify it just a little bit. So I thought, okay, you know, maybe we'll go out for a nice big dinner now, steak and, and something like that someplace. Well, that little pill was an ecstasy pill. And I was a little tiny person um, that put this thing in my system. Um, and, uh, you know, nobody said bite it in half or, or be careful or whatever. And I just swallowed that down. And, and, uh, and that was it. That was the beginning of the end for me when it came to drugs. Um, 17 hours later, I came down from that high. And the first thing out of my mouth was, I want more. 
um, the partner that I was with at that time wanted to have, you know, that was a special occasion thing. So, well, that means that I got to start hiding it. So my addiction, my drug addiction, um, right out of the gate was something that um, I had to hide. Um, the ecstasy graduated to cocaine, cocaine graduated to um, my first rehab. When I went into that rehab, I knew that you could put cocaine up your nose. And when I came out of that rehab, I learned, had learned so many other things. And, uh, you know, cocaine up your nose graduated to you know, cocaine in a needle, which graduated to um, crack cocaine, which then led to crystal meth and all the way down the line. So I went from this amazing corporate job where I was making six figures in a office that had windows everywhere. And I was looking down on the corporate area of Toronto um, to uh, living in a bush um, in uh, a neighboring city, the city of Hamilton, which is like the armpit of Ontario. And I lived in a bush, I was known as the bush girl. <laughs> um, I had forgotten about everything that was important to me. and. Um, you know, if you had what I wanted, you could do anything you wanted to me in order, you know, for me to get that. I did a lot of really deep and disgusting things um, in order to uh, get my fix. Um, every time, every time I would screw up, I, I mean, like I crashed and burned. I hit a lot of bottoms, but you know, bottoms have trap doors, um, and and I and I dig these, I dig these holes, and and I would stop for a little while. And when I say a little while, I mean like five hours or six hours. That's my version of stopping for a little while, enough to find somebody else to con and manipulate what I needed. Um, and that was the only thing that was important to me. Um, I went from caring about myself in the world to caring about nothing but getting drunk and getting high. I didn't care how I did it, right? Um, what did I, I give up through the course of this? I, um, I came out to my family um, when I was 19, 18, 19. I didn't do a slow coming out of the closet thing. I blew the closet door open because I figured this was this was me. This was what I've been searching for. This is what what uh, everything will be okay now that I, I know that I'm that I'm gay. Um, and what my mother told me was that people are allowed to be gay, but black people are not allowed to be gay. Um, a lot of the family stopped talking to me and all of that. So I just became my own my own person, right? Um, I was determined to prove to my mother mostly and to everybody else that I could be just like everybody else and, and everything would be just fine. And that was my mission and my goal in life. And that's all I cared about. Um, but as my addiction, my alcoholism took over and things like that. And, and every time I would go further down the ladder, the only thing that mattered to me was my reputation. So as I was screwing things up, I would make sure that, um, um, you know, when I would, before I would get fired, I would leave. And the excuses would be, you know, this organization just doesn't work for me. Um, we have differences of opinions or, oh, I got another offer somewhere else. So thank you very much for all you've done. And I'm just going to be on my merry way. Um, I stopped working in the corporate daycare when I realized that, you know, drinking and drugging is hard to do when you've got a board of directors to uh, report to and staff looking over your shoulder and whatever. So I stopped working in daycare um, to become a nanny. Like, that's a reasonable thing to do, right? You know, because then I don't have to answer to anybody. <laughs> um, I didn't mind the cut in pay or anything like that because now I could you know, do what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, it was awful that I had the honor of looking after these people's children and I took advantage of that to the utmost. Um, I would, <laughs> our routine was, you know, once the kids were up and moving, I would go meet my drug dealer. Um, the kids would nap and whatever. I would drink and drug and, and um, you know, at the end of the day, take them to the park via the um, beer store 
everybody at the beer store knew all these kids. And it was four kids that I was looking after. I had the honor of looking after these four little ones. And, um, and I just took advantage of that to the point that, um, you know, there was one day that I did take them out and I, I did come back completely intoxicated. And that was when I lost my job with all of them. Um, the main person, the main family said, you know, we love you, but we don't like your disease and you need to, you need to go deal with this. And I think that was the first time that, you know, something started clicking into me. What the hell does she mean my disease? Like what the, what the hell is she talking about? You know? And, uh, and some of the stuff that I learned in all those rehabs and things started coming back to me. And, and I really started looking at what was going on, but it wasn't until I wound up in the bush <laughs> in that neighboring city that I said to myself, maybe, maybe um, I should really be a little bit more serious about this, this recovery thing. Cause I mean, after spending seven years in another fellowship and all that, I knew what it was like. I watched those people, right. I learned how to talk the talk. Um, I really did. And uh, it seemed pretty awesome when the other people were laughing and joking and, you know, they had cars and they were in relationships and, and, and they had jobs and, and people respected them and all that. So I knew, I knew that there was a way out. But the one thing that I couldn't understand was how, how you stop, how do you stop? You know, how do you not pick up again? That was uh, just because if a craving hit me, if the obsession of the mind hit me, I just gave in. I didn't fight it. What the fuck would I do that for? Now, that's too hard. That's too difficult. That's too challenging. Why would I fight this? You know, um, giving up on things is something that also became part of my realm. Um, I was a great athlete when I was uh, younger, um, won a lot of races and this, that and whatever. And uh, and everything was great because, you know, that remember that attention seeker in me? Oh, just loved it. Um, but one day I lost a race and, and, and nobody came up to me and said, you know, that was a good try or, you know come back again or whatever it is. It's just, they just went over to the person that won. So I, I concluded that coming in second place meant that you were a first place loser. So I vowed never to have that happen to me again. So if I couldn't do something perfectly to get the kudos that I needed, then I just gave up on it. I just walked away from it. Um, anything that was too difficult now, it's that easy life, right? Um, so I also had a lot of anger and things like that from, from all those abuse issues that I, I had in the past. Uh, as I told you, with the, the sexual abuse and the physical abuse, that came mostly from my family. So I, when it comes to my identity and to who I am, I'm still trying to figure that out because I'll be completely honest with you. I have, I have issues with people that are of my own race, of my own culture, um, because when I look at them, when I see them, I see all those abuse things that happen to me. You know, and that's really hard. Like, I don't want to be part of my culture or anything like that. Not because society says it's not okay to be a black person. It's because um, all of my abuse issues comes from my family. All of them. All the discrimination that I ever faced and experienced and stuff like that, that all comes from my, from, from other people of, 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 of color. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Like, why would I want that? You know, and some of my abuse issues come from um, a pastor from a church. And so there's my religious stuff. Why would I want to be part of a world where God would tell somebody to do that to me? Because that's what I was told. That's what I was told when I was younger, when these men were doing these things. And, you know, when you're little and you feel like you've got like 700 pounds of yuck on top of you with somebody talking in your ear saying, God told me to do this. Right. I'm doing this. In in the name of God. Why would I want to be part of it? I came into all this with a lot of anger and everything like that, you know, and it was because of, it was because of some really amazing people that were able to see through 
all the masks that I wore. Scared individual that just really needed. A and um, oh, my internet is unstable. I hope I don't lose y'all. So, um, so when I did finally come into the program in in 2017, I, I followed a woman into the rooms because she was cute, and I always got what I wanted. And so there you go. And but guess what? I didn't get anything this time. That was probably the first um, relationship that I have with a female that I have not had sex with. Um, because that was another one of my strategies of everything. You can always get what you want when there's sex involved. Um, my abuse, um, like being sexualized very young and uh, all those abuse issues that I went through, I, I turned that around and rather than being afraid of it, it, it became my weapon. And, uh, you know, if I can't get what I want by talking to somebody, then, you know, you can guarantee that I'm going to, I'm going to flirt and do whatever it is that I needed to do in order to get it. And, and it was, I was successful. I was always successful. Um, and then I met this woman that no, <laughs> but the thing is, is that she knew that there was some sort of an attraction there. And, uh, I guess in her mind, it doesn't matter how I stayed in the room, um, as long as I was in the rooms. And eventually, um, I stopped looking at this woman and I started listening to what was going on. And I was hearing really strange things that was making me uncomfortable. You know, um, I, I was hearing things about honesty and willingness to uh to go to any lengths to be sober i was hearing things about integrity um, all of these things were making me so uncomfortable um, but the biggest thing that was making me uncomfortable was the whole religious aspect of everything and you know you have to find god um the rooms that i was going to that's what they say you know if you don't find god you're going to die um after living in the bush um and but then being accepted by my mom to come back in the house again. And, and when I came back into the house, you'd think I'd be grateful. You know, um, my way of thanking my mom for welcoming me back into the house was finding her checkbook. Um, and I started writing checks like the way water runs out of a tap. Um, I also intercepted the mail um, so that my mother didn't get any mail. And, uh, um, you know, the police showed up at, at my mom's door and, and said that they were foreclosing on the house. That's, that's the, the, depth of damage that I had done. They were foreclosing on the house that, um, you know, my mother was paying for this house. My mother's, um, my mother has so much integrity. I, if I, if I develop a, the tiniest bit of integrity that she has, I'll be very fortunate. Um, my sister's father left my mom, um, uh, with two children in diapers. I have two younger sisters. Um, and he pulled all the equity out of the house and left my mother with two kids in diapers and a $300,000 debt. Uh, which my mother was somehow managing to pay off and, and, and climb herself out of this hole. And then I came along and just put me right back in that hole again. And when they showed up to foreclose on the house, I actually looked at my mom and, and, and told her how disappointed I was with her for not telling me that she was going through financial problems, you know, so that I could help her. You know, how could you keep this a secret? Like, don't you know, don't you, don't you know what could have happened to us kids? You know, that was pretty selfish of you. I actually turned this around and blamed her for the, these people showing up at the door to foreclose on the house when it was all my fault. It was all those checks that I had written and the mail that I had intercepted, intercepted saying, you know, we are coming to foreclose on the house. Um, I'm proud to say now that, you know, I still live in the house with my mom. Um, financially, I'm the one that uh, makes sure that the bills get paid and, and I, I do what I can so that my mother doesn't have to work. Um, my mother doesn't have to lift a finger if she doesn't want to. And that is my amends to her. Um, 
that is the amends that I'm doing about changing my behavior. I can be honest about the fact that I have not looked at my mother yet and looked at her like, and from my heart told her how sorry I am for all the things that I put her through from childhood all the way up. I haven't been able to do that yet. Um, when that time is going to come, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Until then, I'm just going to keep with the actions. And uh, eventually, maybe the words will come out. Um, if I'm going to apologize to my mother, I want it to be sincere. I don't want to do it because the steps tell me to do it. I want to do it because I actually mean it. Um, so until then, I'm just going to keep the actions going. Um, all right. So um, enough of that. But let me tell you about recovery. <laughs> let me tell you about my journey through recovery and how these past five years have been. Woo. Whoa. They've been fun and interesting. Okay. So you got an angry person that kind of sort of hates the world yet wants attention, you know, like come here to me and pay attention to me, but oh, you're getting too close. I'm just going to push you away right now. The back and forth, right? I don't want to be in this fellowship because you're telling me that I need to get down on my knees and pray to God. You know what? Last time I got down on my knees, I got paid a lot of money for it. So unless you're going to pay me a lot of money for it, I ain't getting down on my knees for freaking anybody. And this is the attitude that I had in here. You would tell me to go left. I would go right. Tell me to go up. I would go down. I wanted the program. I really did. But I wasn't, I wasn't just, I wasn't one of those people that just, you know, okay, you tell me to do this and, and I'm going to do it. Yeah, I was willing to go to any lengths, but, but I was also wanted to be true to myself. So how do I do this program that you're telling me you got to find God, got to find God? No, 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 I don't. Remember one of my sponsors said that to me, you know, you, you have to be willing to go to any lengths, which means you have to accept this God stuff. And that was when I thought to myself, well, you know, they say, if you want what we have. And I looked at her, I looked her dead in her face. And I said, I guess I don't want what you have. And that was the first, first time that I ever felt like an honest word came out of my mouth. A completely honest word. And I went home that night and I took a piece of paper and five different colors of pens. And I wrote down on this piece of paper everything that I know about myself in regards to who I am. Like, you know, that I'm kind and I'm caring and I'm loving and, and all that stuff. And I also wrote, wrote down that I'm a liar and I'm a, a, a thief and a manipulator and, and all the things, everything on that one piece of paper. I wrote them down. When I was finished, I looked at this and I said, you know what? I have to learn to accept the person that's on this piece of paper. I have to learn to accept me for who I am. That person that I followed into the rooms, um, she said to me, and this was in, in January of 2017. She said to me, I'm going to help you realize that everything that you need is already inside you. You have everything that you need in order to be successful. You just don't know it yet. But today I know that, right? She told me that you're going to realize one day that you're enough. And I know today I am enough. I am enough. Everything about my life is enough. My job is enough. My house is enough. Um, I just bought a car. It's enough. My friends are enough. I've just started a new relationship and that's enough. Everything is enough. And I'm okay with that. I no longer am chasing the shiny things and looking for um, those things to, to, to satisfy me because deep down inside me, I know that I'm a decent person, right? And I am enough. And if, if, if you're in my life and, and it's not enough for you, I really don't give a shit. <laughs> so I'm the one that goes to bed with me at the end of the night. Right. So, um, so in learning about this whole thing, about the whole I am enough, what, what did that take? It, it took a lot of looking at myself, um, asking myself at what point, what was it that I decided that I wasn't enough? And that was in childhood, right? 
somewhere inside me when I was a kid, I decided that I wasn't enough and I needed to change. Um, I didn't get any sort of validation from any adults or whatever it is. So I just kept going with that. Lying, cheating, manipulating, all that stuff. You can refine that as time goes by. And, um, and that was a very long and torturous lie that I lived. And because I'm not living that lie anymore, um, things, I'm not saying that things are easy because recovery is fucking hard. Because, you know, there's feelings that come along with all this crap and there's um, responsibility and accountability. Oh, I can't believe I said that without throwing up. Um, accountability, um, all of that stuff comes with this, this program of recovery and it is hard fucking work. It really is. Um, everything turns into a zombie apocalypse for me, everything. But I told myself that I couldn't do this. And somebody looked at me one day and says, not that you can't do it. You won't do it. Oh, do not challenge me like that. What did you just say to me? I won't. Is that a challenge? Yeah. Um, challenge accepted. Um, and, and screw you. I found recovery that way. <laughs> so all these things that I rebelled against and, and all that stuff, you know, uh, once I started, once I started changing my dialogue, once I started, um, instead of saying things like I can't do things and look at the reality of, you know, I won't, um, which is true. I still want everything handed to me on a silver platter. I was, I was hell bent and determined. Even when I was living in the fucking gutter in that bush, I still wanted things handed to me on a silver platter. And that's not the way it works. You know, I have to, I have to work for this. Um, and I like taking the credit for it as well. That's the other problem that I had with the, with the other fellowship or sorry, the, the religious aspect of the fellowship is if I do something and something goes right, I ain't giving that credit to anybody else. No magical fairy came out from the sky and, 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 and brought this on me. When I got the job that I have now, it's not because of anything other than the fact that I put the work into it. And I find that everything that I successfully get now, it's because I put the work into it and I'm not going to give that credit to anybody else. You know, I believe in the power of positivity. So I try and try and be as positive as possible. Which was um, um, another um, interesting story, uh, that person that I followed into the rooms, um, she told me I was the most negative person that she'd ever met in her life. And I, I, I thought, wow, look at that. Look at me. <laughs> I'm the most negative person on the planet. It was not a good thing that she was saying. I mean, she put me on this positivity challenge. And every time I said something negative, I had to follow it up with something positive. And if I swore, um, I had to, I had to do it twice. Um, she, uh, because the environment that I was working in, she told everybody at that work at, at the workplace that I was on this challenge. So they were all holding me accountable. And then she told my mom. She drove to my house and told my mom about this challenge. So now my mother's also got me on this positivity thing at home. And it was fucking hard. It was really, really hard. But eventually, um, eventually it just became part of what I did. Um, and it was through that that I realized that if I just put an effort into something and I keep doing it, eventually it will become part of who I am if that's what's meant to be, right? So the obsession for not drinking, it took years for that to leave me. But each day I just, I didn't drink. Remember before I said I couldn't figure out how you don't drink, yeah, uh, how you get through the sobriety thing. How do you get, how do you get sober? You stop drinking. How do you stay, stay sober? You don't pick up. Don't pick up. And that is easier said than done, but it, it you can do it. And I don't need a higher power to do that or anything like that. I, I need to be honest with myself. 
And I need to talk to people. I really need to talk to people. I did not want to be in this, what I call the cesspool of codependency was what this fellowship was, you know, get a sponsor, call your sponsor. I had a sponsor said, you have to call me between four and six every day. My fucking problems don't happen between four and six. And how codependent are you that you need me to call you between four and six every day? Like get a life. Um, but I understand, I understand. I may not have to call them every day, but I do know that every day I need to be in touch with people that are in sobriety, people that are part of this, um, are the fellowship, uh, to keep my, my head on, right? Because, uh, you know, leave me by myself for a little bit and then, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go off the rails in about 2.2 seconds. That's the other thing about the whole higher power thing, you know, even if I had a higher power, I don't think that I could get sober because that's still me being alone, you know, and, and. I'm more likely to do the right thing when I'm around other people, not when I'm sitting by myself, not when I'm, you know, uh, all caught up in my own bullshit. So when I talk to other people and they actually say, Marsha, did you actually hear the words that came out of your mouth? Was yeah. Well, well, do you believe the words that came out of your mouth? You know, these are the challenges that I needed from people. These are the challenges that I needed from people. And that uh, I was very fortunate that it started um, early in my sobriety. So, you know, yes, things are still zombie apocalypse for me, um, but I'm learning to stop um, and, and think about them. Um, I have a very vicious mouth, very abusive, because that's what I, I, was, I was taught. Now, um, when somebody says something that I'm not, you know, too fond of or whatever it is, I've learned how to scream in my own head, wait, and wait stands for why am I talking? And if I don't shut up, right, I'm going to say something that's going to put my foot in my mouth and I'm going to have to make one of those amends. I can't stand those amends. I really can't. I don't. I don't. To me, it's not about saying sorry because sorry is an empty word for me, right? But it's about changing the behavior and being genuine um, about what's going on, you know? And recognizing when I fucked up, I can do that. And uh, going in the right direction. So... I have fought this program. Um, finding secular uh, meetings has been amazing for me. Um, when the pandemic started and, and I didn't want to be on Zoom because I thought it was just a bunch of people sitting there behind a camera jacking off to other people and whatever it is, that's what I thought it was all about. That's what I thought video stuff was about, right? I didn't want to be on this thing. I didn't know anybody or whatever. And, and a friend of mine said to me, you know, when you or asked to go to a meeting, say somebody showed up at your door and said, come to this meeting and, and you were to drive to another city and they asked you to speak and you got up on that, on behind the podium and, and, and to speak, would you know anybody in that room? And I said, well, no, but you'd speak anyways, right? So, yeah. So instead of sitting at home, um, you know, wondering uh, why the pandemic happened to you with your head up your ass, why don't you um, honor the fifth tradition of this um, of this fellowship and get your ass um, at least to your home group on Zoom. Learn what this is all about um, and keep doing that. And that and that's exactly what I did. Um, I did one year um, at AA Home Group, which is a traditional twenty four hour meeting. That meeting probably saved my life because I didn't realize I was suicidal at that time. And they pulled me in and they got me involved in service. A year after that, I found the secular rooms. You know, West Side Agnostic was my first meeting that I went to. West Side Agnostic led me to Tusnua. Um, I'm part of an LGBT, LGBT online meeting that um, um, I'm still doing service for to this day. Um, every day at seven o'clock, I'm there. Um, and it was through that meeting that I met my current partner. Um, um, and this is all just, just wanting it. Really, it is what it is. It, 
I said before, you know, when I put my mind on something, if I want it, I get it. And, and this is, this is something that I've always wanted. And, and I, I, and I'm, I'm getting it, you know, um, things are going really well for me and I'm going to keep going, um, in that direction. I'm going to, um, I've, I've gone through the steps traditionally. I've gone through the steps a couple of times in a secular manner. I do sponsor people. Service is a huge part of my recovery. And now that um, I'm in a relationship and I, and I do have a job, I, I'm going to learn how to balance um, and honor myself that way. Um, recovery is an amazing thing when, when you get your head out of your ass and you do the next right thing. And it's not always the easy thing to do, but you know, the next right thing is, is never really easy now, is it? So I'm going to stop talking now because I didn't realize exactly um, how much time I've been going here. Um, if I were to tell anybody, um, if I were to tell anybody to uh, anything about this program, I'd just say, I'd just be as honest as possible. I, I, I didn't come in honest, open-minded and willing. I had to come in willing to open my mind, to be honest willing to open my mind to be honest and since I've done that um, things have been working out pretty well for me so I'm going to be appreciative of what I have um, don't sweat the small stuff I'm not going to make a big deal out of uh, out of life and um, and I'm going to keep coming to these meetings and I'm going to keep depending on all of you to help me stay sober I'm very grateful for my um, my tribe those people that help me um, I've got a fellowship that's worldwide now you know, and um, and I will always honor them and love them for that. So I'm I'm grateful to AA for giving me those steps. Um, I, I'm not looking for Bill and Bob's um, recovery. I'm looking for Marsha's recovery. So um, I'm going to keep going in my direction, doing what I know is right. And um, and I want to thank you all for that making. Thank you for asking me to be of service, and thank you all for being here. Um, and I think I'm going to stop at this point. Um, with that uh, little serenity statement that um, I found in one of the rooms that I always like saying, which is, uh, you know, I seek the serenity to stop beating myself up for not doing things perfectly. I have the courage to, um, oh, I always forget it. I always forget that statement and I don't know why it is that I always say. Anyways, um, oh, the courage to forgive myself because I always try my best and the wisdom to know that I'm a kind, good person with a kind heart. That's it. So. Lots of love to you all. Keep your head out of your ass. Do the next right thing, family. And uh, that's it for me. Thanks a lot.